This is Unfiltered, episode 262 for December 6th, 2017. ABC News' Brian Ross is reporting Michael Flynn promised full cooperation to the Mueller team and is prepared to testify that as a candidate, Donald Trump directed him to make contact with the Russians. Everybody, hopefully you're staying warm as we roll into winter. It's time again for another edition of Unfiltered, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news you shouldn't be watching. Breaking news, by the way, Chris, that opening clip, uh, we just found out uh, fake news. Uh, that is not true. I think her excitement was quite true, though. Oh, her, she was very her, excited. Oh, she she does not apologize for no. the excitement, Chris. No. Hello, Chase. Hello, everybody. Hello. Thank you for tuning into our weekly show. Woo-hoo. About that news, you... Really shouldn't be watching. We watch it for you, oh, and God. we break through the noise. And yeah. this week, lots of noise. You know, Chase, uh, there is a little uh, impeachment mania afoot. We'll get into some of that in a moment, but we'll start, as always, with a cyber se- segment. ASL. Uh, you know, there's something in here that I think is worth us covering just briefly. It's going to be a brief cyber segment because then, have you ever wondered what the total cost of the Russia investigation has been so far? Well, let's We'll show see. you a little money. Uh, hold on. Yeah, we'll show okay. you a little money. Uh, I'm just adding it up in my head. The FBI and the CIA end up in court, and you're about to get a whole bunch of no- a bunch of more tweets about it because of it. I'll tell you why. Thanks, Devin. Yeah. And then uh, your buddy. My friend. Michael Flynn has pled guilty, and there is, there is what's going on there. There's the reaction around it. And then a little update on Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Ah, DWS. Yeah. What's we'll cap to? it all off with a high note. And then if you want to stick around, we got a nice and concise overtime this week. Nice. How about that? It's like a nice little perfect unfilter package for 262. You know, it's it's the gift that if you wanted to put in a stocking stuffer, <laughs> yeah. you could do it. Put it on a thumb drive. Put it. <laughs> All right, let's kick it off with our cyber segment, which is about a topic that I like to I like to track. I've been following this for years. I really it's it's about these devices that uh, law enforcement have that allow them to pretend that they're a cellular tower and track all your different information. You know what devices I'm talking that, about? The stingrays. Yes, exactly. Yes, that's and right. I, that's sort of the the meta topic of uh, this next report. Nearly all of us in America, 95% have a cell phone, and the phone company captures a lot more data than just the numbers we dial. In fact, police can use that information to track where we've been. When you use your phone, it signals the closest cell tower. As you move around, it keeps reconnecting to the nearest tower, and that leaves a record digital breadcrumbs. Suspecting a Detroit man of robbing several smartphone stores, the FBI got the tower location records from his cell phone provider to prove he was near all the stores when they were robbed. But his lawyers say the case should be thrown out because the FBI did not get a search warrant and should have because those records can reveal so much. Access to these aggregations of our historical location records present the government with a veritable time machine, uh, an ability to press rewind on someone's life and learn where we've been over weeks and months far into the past. Both liberals and conservatives on the court seem concerned about an invasion of privacy. Justice Sotomayor said a cell phone can be pinged in your bedroom or doctor's office Ooh. in the most intimate details of your life. I'm pinged and in Chief the bedroom Justice a lot. Justice Roberts said you really don't have a choice these days about sharing that information if you want to have a cell phone. 
the court appeared ready to say that cell phones can reveal so much they deserve more protection from Big Brother. Pete Williams, NBC News at the Supreme Court. So this is a pretty interesting thing here because yeah. it's something that um, I think all of us that are technologists would be, yeah, yeah, of course, obviously, rah, 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 rah. But let's just talk about the element they have of tracking and rewinding over a period of time. This, there has really another, I can't really think of anything in history that's been like this. This does no. seem like a new capability. Well, I think it's always been there. But well, for maybe, cell phones. But yeah. I mean just like in historical context of law enforcement in the United States of America and the ability to track citizens, this is sort of an unprecedented technology that they have access to. Because you can combine it with – you have stingrays where yeah. you can act as a cell tower the and fa- you can the track The fake people. stuff. Like right. Trap, which yeah. is the thing they were talking about in the FBI case. Yeah. And then you also have – which they're kind of convoluting here in this uh, piece – is you have the access to the metadata from the carriers, which allows you to go back in time – and get like, you know, uh, perhaps a year's worth of location information or more. So I think the the big hiccup here is the FBI did all of this without a warrant. And I think that's that's where when you're going into personal files and I mean. And they, it's not just like one case. No. It's like been several cases. Many cases. In fact, there's been a couple of cases I covered a while ago in TechSnap that were thrown out because the FBI wasn't willing I remember put that. it in court yes. where they got the the data from, and it was a stingray they got it from, but they didn't want that going in court. Yeah, they didn't want the specifics and particulars going out there. I I, I think here, yeah, I, there there needs to be due process for for the accused. Uh, there needs to be a warrant. There needs to be oversight, and right now there isn't any oversight. That's one argument. The the other argument is the privacy argument, where you know. Cellular companies are able to, you know, aggregate and collect all this information without really giving you the opportunity to opt out if you want to opt out. Do you think there could be a point in time one day where batteries have gotten efficient enough and radios are good enough and device scale is high enough that we really could have some sort of mesh network that replaces carriers? Is that ever going to be possible? Because it, it keeps coming down to they're so, the weakest link. So, yes, I do. And the reason why I, I, I'm seeing this slowly develop in the broadcast world where upper – so remember growing up, and a lot of our listeners might remember this. Remember the big dials on your on your television? Oh, yeah, yeah. The UHF dials, and they went all the way up. Back in the day, it went all the way up, I think, 83 and then if you had some newer TVs, they went up to like 62, 63. Well, a lot of those upper UHF channels are going away, and they're being repackaged for cellular and for communication. So, and, and that kind of stuff where you know it's, it's building penetration and you get huge coverage areas, you're going to get that. Eventually, we will get to a point where you won't need to put a big fat antenna on your house. You'll just need a little you know, dongle on, on your computer or whatever, mm. and you, you'll be connected. So it's, it, it's coming. I, it I am ready for coming. it. I am yeah, ready for it. It will be here. But don't worry, Chris, because with net neutrality going away, you're going to have to pay an additional <laughs> package uh, to get those high speeds. I, you love it. You look, not that you're bitter. Not that you're bitter about it at all. <laughs> you yeah. Bring it back to net yeah, neutrality. I'm sorry. Got to bring it down, yes. Uh, there is a couple other things in the uh, cyber folder if you have the supporter sync, but I'll leave it to you as an offline exercise. I want to move on to uh, one of our favorite categories on the show, and that's whenever we can... That's right. So how much money, before I hit play... Okay. It's not going to be... I'm, I'm, I'll give you like some some parameters. So Are that we playing we, prices right here? Well, we're going to... Let's see. What do we have? We can play chat room quiz. How about that? Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, it's uh, it's not like astronomical, but it's also not peanuts. So this is your range. Is that good enough? That's fine. What do you? What Whoa, do hey. you? Hey there. Hi. Hi. Hello. What do you suspect that the total spent so far 
on and on on like the Russia meddling investigation. So is so this far. is this just Mueller's team, or is this like including the House Oversight and the Senate I, committees? I know and for all sure that? it's definitely it's definitely Bob's team. Okay, and I believe it's either one or two of the other investigations. So knowing that this is a government operation, and knowing that they are fiscally responsible <laughs> for all oh. Oh, okay. of our taxpayer uh-huh. money going into these things. I believe it is $25 million. Oh, okay. Well, I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. I now reveal. We do have breaking news on special counsel Robert Mueller's oh. investigation into Russian I'm meddling in the U.S. election. <laughs> Laura Jarrett joins us now. with These things do have a way of getting revised, though. Yeah, Keep that true. in mind. Fair that, enough. I understand, Laura. We have a price tag. It's probably also, in oh, fact, I know. Tag does not include any of the FBI's cost or the CIA or any of the intelligence apparatus. Right. Yeah, exactly, John. The Department of Justice is just releasing figures this morning detailing exactly how much money has been spent over the course of five months in the Russia probe from May to September. And the Department of Justice breaks them into two different buckets. They report that roughly $3.2 million has been spent by special counsel Robert Mueller on the probe. He was appointed back in May. And roughly $3.5 million has been spent by... Other DOJ components, for instance, FBI agents who are working on the probe, Hmm. not directly on Mueller's team. Okay, so it's DOJ, so it's FBI and and Mueller. But still working on the investigation, so roughly $7 Okay, so I misspoke. It doesn't include the two investigations going on in Congress. It It is just the Justice Department's expenses so far. So, and which also doesn't include the intelligence apparatus. So I bet you, it, in totality, it's probably getting more closer to your original number so, if you think about so, it. So, so to, to be fair, you be fair. I you don't be ca- fair. I don't care how much money it costs. You really? know why? You, you know I, why? I do. I what? care. I know I care. Because I'm paying that shit, dude. I, mean, I care. We, we all, yeah, but we're also paying for for shit that I care it, about it, that too. Though. Yeah, that I mean, come on. What I'm what I'm saying here is. If it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Independent, whatever you are, you want the truth, right? And that's all I'm asking for here. And nothing, nothing spun fed. And I know yeah. people are going to say, "Well, it's spun because it's Mueller or whatever." Well, no, it's because it's it's not Mueller. It's Adam Schiff. It's Maxine Waters. Some guy named Devin. Yeah, Devin Nunes. It's these guys <laughs> yeah. that are spinning it. That, that's right. that's the part where you go, well, shit, this is a political theater and, show. And I know this is a great little headline, you know, $7 million, it's probably going to be $10 million, maybe $25 million. Our government, like one one what cruise missile being fired ah. from a battleship is like eighteen million. It's some astronomical number, right? And we do these like training exercises. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. Where it's just it's, yeah, millions it's, and millions it's and millions all a per matter, shot. Yeah, it's all <laughs> it's all a matter of perspective here. I mean, this has been what a year and a half. Well, about a year it's and a half. It's been going on forever. It's yeah. been going on forever. So. so there's just one quick story I want to touch on while we're still in the Russia section. Did you, did you hear that Russia had to register as a foreign agent? And yes. Then, that Russia, of course. Uh, responded by essentially, Russia today, you mean? Uh, yeah, Russia yeah. today. Sorry, yeah, yeah. they re- Russia back in Moscow responded Thanks, by yeah. um, essentially doing the same thing to all our versions of RT over there. Uh, and uh, there's also one other little development that RT is a little upset about. RT America was stripped of its congressional press passes earlier this week. The radio and television correspondence galleries have singled out this network. 
pointing out our recent registration under the Foreign Agents Registration Act. But a number of other internationally run news organizations registered under FARA have not been asked to do the same. For more on this, we're... They're a little upset about that, a little annoyed, as you might imagine. So RT yeah. is having a bit of a hard time recently. It's been a rough, been a rough year for RT. They were when singled you're, when out. When you're complaining to yourself, does it make a difference? When a bear complains in the woods? Well, I mean, this is Russia today. They're complaining... Which I believe, you know, they may may have a little gripe here, but they're complaining to their. It's like, eh, what are you gonna, you know, you're you're reporting yeah. on yourself, right? It's although like, you would totally see CNN or Fox News do the same thing. Like when one of them was, God, remember how much they belly ached when they turned off the cameras and they. I mean, they oh, do. The, what, what are they? What in those, the press, in the, the press, the babble, gravel, the, the ga- yeah. gaggle, gaggles, gaggles. Yeah, yes. <laughs> um, all right, you ready for the tweets? Brace uh, yourself. I'm ready. All right, Chase, there's going to be a new batch of tweets. Very, very angry tweets heading your way soon. A new report claims counsel for the House Intelligence Committee has asked Republican Chairman Devin Nunes to seek contempt of Congress citations against the Department of Justice and the FBI. Investigators on Capitol Hill are accusing those agencies of holding documents related to the infamous Trump dossier. Some on Capitol Hill want to know whether or not it was used to justify surveillance against those around then-candidate Donald Trump. Subpoenas were reportedly sent out back in June, July, and August. June, July, and August. And they still haven't given the investigators the answers they want about the dossier. They just won't do it. They won't hand over the info. And so they're, they're, now they're saying they're going to hold them in contempt of court, which... Uh, that's kind of a shit show. There's another shit show going on at the same time. New information about the FBI agent dismissed from Robert Mueller's special counsel investigation. This happened recently. Did you hear about this? I did, one? yes. Yeah, so this guy turns out to be a bit of an anti-Trump character. Over the weekend, we learned that this top counterintelligence expert was removed by Mueller after exchanging text messages that appeared to mock President Trump. And now, new CNN reporting breaking right now on the agent's role in the Hillary Clinton email probe. He, he supposedly exchanged those text messages with legal counsel. So I'm wondering how old Bob got his hands on the messages. Hmm. I want to bring in CNN's Laura Jarrett. Uh, and, and Laura, records show messages by this agent raised questions about whether or not justice was truly blind in the investigation into Hillary Clinton. Oh! Well, Jake, sources we have learned from tell us that the electronic records show that Peter Strzok changed former FBI Director James Comey earlier draft language describing Clinton's actions in handling classified materials from, quote, grossly negligent to extremely careless. Now, that's obviously very legally charged language, grossly negligent. Well, the grossly negligent is a legal defined term. That's why. Now, this entire drafting process was a team effort at the FBI, as we reported last month after the news surfaced that the language had, in fact, been softened, that Comey and his colleagues had been playing with the language for some time. (laughs) But the identity of the person who actually made the change had not been known until now. Take a listen to what Comey said, clearing the former secretary of state back in 2016. Although we did not find clear evidence that Secretary Clinton or her colleagues intended to violate laws governing the handling of classified information, there is evidence that they were extremely careless in their handling of very sensitive, highly classified information. Now, this key shift from grossly negligent to extremely careless may seem like mere semantics, but it actually reflects a decision that the FBI could have had a potentially serious legal implication here as the federal law that actually 
governs the handling of classified materials, establishes criminal penalties for gross negligence. So the change there actually is legally significant. But from an optics standpoint, certainly the news of Strzok's direct role in this statement that ultimately cleared Clinton, combined with the fact that he was dismissed from special counsel Robert Mueller's team after exchanging these private messages with an FBI lawyer could be seen as favoring Clinton politically, may now give further ammunition to those seeking ways to discredit special counselor Robert Mueller. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Here's a little more on that. Uh, Cucker's pretty fired up about this particular topic because there's a few details about this FBI agent that, uh, you know, probably worth knowing. Cucker, Cucker, Well, good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. For months, Trump defenders have alleged that Robert Mueller's investigation is tainted with partisan politics. They've noted, for example, the strikingly high percentage of prosecutors on Mueller's team who are also major Democratic donors. The president himself has frequently echoed these charges, implying that the investigation is a partisan witch hunt concocted by his enemies to overturn last fall's election results, basically a coup. We haven't joined that chorus. Prosecutors, like military officers and surgeons, are trained to rise above their own politics in the service of duty, and most of them do that. In the absence of hard evidence to the contrary, it seemed wise to give this investigation the benefit of every doubt and wait for the outcome. This has kind of been my thinking, too, actually. I hate to play Cucker so much because he's kind of hard to look at and listen to after a bit, but the truth is, it seems like with this whole Mueller investigation is just sort of sit back and let it run its course and see what it discovers. And that's what I want. I honestly, I don't want these little leaks. I don't mm-hmm. want this mm-hmm. spun up fluff on each side. I would, I would, I might prefer that the other investigations uh, shut down because they just seem like political sideshows and, and where Bob's investigation I, seems I am like so in agreement. Yeah. I mean, or or if they are so hard on wanting to do these investigations. Let Mueller finish his shit. Yeah, exactly. And then do it. Look into the rest of the stuff that maybe he didn't get to or something. Or or maybe, I don't know, do some of your jobs right now with everything that's going on. Yeah, what happens, say, if Mueller finds finds one way and then one of these two investigations finds another way? Then what do we do? This is Oh, you know that's going to happen. This is why this is going to go on well into 2018. Oh, totally. This is going to be Right part, in the midterms. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's there are elements to this, though, that uh, Tucker here uh, touches on that specifically bring up my questions around this FBI agent and his handle of Hillary's case. We're Americans. We believe in the fair application of justice. We think that's what normally happens. Well, unfortunately, it's getting harder to maintain that faith. Two days ago, news broke that a key figure in the Mueller investigation, a longtime FBI official named Peter Strzok, had been removed from his job for sending highly political text messages to his mistress, who's another FBI official. Oh, that's right. The mistress angle. How did I forget that? Because that that is just when I when I remember when I read that the first time, it was like, oh, of course, it's a mistress. It's no. always a mistress. It's always a mistress that leaks the text that gets the guy in trouble or, or holds onto the records or sends an email. It's always a mistress. In the Mueller investigation, a longtime FBI official named Peter Strzok had been removed from his job for sending highly political text messages to his mistress, who's another FBI official. Apparently, those texts attacked President Trump and expressed affection for Hillary Clinton. Now, ordinarily, this would not rate a headline. Even career government officials are allowed to have political views. But this is no ordinary moment. Peter Strzok is at the very center of the two most politicized Justice Department cases in a generation. This guy's kind of a key player, it turns out. What are the chances? It's like a political hit. 
Strzok was, first of all, deeply involved in the investigation of Hillary Clinton's private email server last year. At the conclusion of that investigation, it was apparently Strzok who changed the FBI's description of what Hillary did from grossly negligent to extremely careless. Now, the first description is a crime, the second merely a blunder. So, in effect, Peter Strzok exonerated Hillary Clinton in the middle of a presidential campaign. But then he kept going. Strzok went on to sign the document, the official document that opened an investigation into Russian meddling in the election. The very same investigation the Hillary campaign was calling for at the time, the one that has now completely overwhelmed the Trump presidency. And if that wasn't enough, it was also Peter Strzok, who, according to news accounts this afternoon, oversaw the FBI's interviews in January with General Mike Flynn at the White House. What? The ones that resulted in Flynn pleading guilty to felony charges on Friday. Apparently, Flynn had no idea he was being interviewed, and that would explain why he didn't have a lawyer present. If true, that would qualify as trickery. It would be unethical. Again, like Zelig, Peter Strzok in the middle of it. Now, we'll get to Flynn here in a little more, but let's talk about Peter here for a second. Uh, this, to me, I, I mean, I got a little bacon for you, if you don't mind, if you'll you allow. Know, I like bacon. I might pick some up this weekend, but tell me about your Savannah Gosh, bacon. this has a big old bow on top of it, doesn't it? Isn't this just a little perfect package? Seems a little neat. Comey didn't write the original uh, schmarmy writing. It was some underling, but he, but then Comey supposedly just went with it. Uh, this guy was the one that sparked off the Russia meddling investigation and it turns out this guy was the one that interviewed Flynn and didn't tell him it was an actual FBI investigation. So interview. you're saying it's a little too perfect? Well, it's either exactly what happened or it is – it's a political fall guy, mm. which I don't know what that suggests. But uh, the bacon is that it's a fall guy because it's just too perfect. Usually when it's, when it's a nice little narrative that's trotted out to the public that connects all the little dots and makes it easy for everybody to understand, generally it turns out to be bullshit. It doesn't matter who it serves. That just generally means it's bullshit. So I'm going to put on one of my other hats for a moment. It's the ELI-5 Act hat. At the end of the day, all right, this guy, let's say it is true that this all this happened. At the end of the day, we still have an investigation going right now. We already have somebody who has pled guilty. We have uh, another guy, Papadopoulos, is that his name, uh, you know, throwing in some stuff there. There's something going on there, obviously. Yeah, it seems to me like so, it's, you would have to be uh, preemptive positioning to yeah. a degree to challenge some sort of finding. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It just seems it seems really perfect. Otherwise, it seems like this one this one Clinton fan was able to have massive influence over the FBI and the FBI director and what their entire investigation now, apparatus it, is this I like the word apparatus. Uh, yeah. <laughs> apparatus. Is this is this one of the scenarios where maybe the organization is just too big where Comey's like, you know, He's leaving know. it to other people We're to take way care off of the, the That's I mean, yeah. way off into the weeds. Yeah. That's speculation yeah. territory. But yeah. it just, I don't know. I'm not saying it's not true. It's just very perfect. Axiom explains a lot of what's exactly going on. Exactly what I'm saying. You know, the chain of command, you know, if, if, if Comey's like, all right, you guys take care of this. Put this thing together for me. I'm going to go to the podium. You're telling me this guy, the, the, the director of the FBI, he's the one who has to read those words on national television. Yeah, but do he doesn't think, have final say over that. But do you think he didn't know? I guess it's if it's a finding. 
He doesn't. I guess if that's their finding. Right. And the other thing, too, is if he didn't know that the words were changed. No, he must have known. He's involved with that. I mean, either way. That's another speculation. But yeah. I feel like this is a story worth following. So we'll see where Peter goes. Yeah, Yeah. we'll see. Hopefully Peter stays around. But let's talk about uh, let's talk about Michael Flynn. So Michael Flynn pled guilty to lying to the FBI. One count of lying. You no handcuffs for Michael Flynn. He surrendered and walked into the federal courthouse in Washington to plead guilty to a single charge, lying to the FBI, moving the special counsel investigation into the White House and raising new questions about top aide Jared Kushner. Flynn now admits that four days into his job as White House National Security Advisor, he denied having two separate contacts back in December with Russia's ambassador to the U.S., Sergei Kislyak, when in fact he did. Now what? It- what I'm trying to understand here is, so this happened, okay, what did they say, four days? Is that what they said? House yeah. in Washington to plead guilty to a single charge, lying to the FBI, moving the special counsel investigation into the White House and raising new questions about top aide Jared Kushner. Flynn now admits that four days into his job as White House National Security Advisor, he denied having two separate contacts back in December with Russia's ambassador to the U.S. Yeah, so to be clear, the the crime is not the contact because it's they don't talk about this very much, but it's not Russia, as we discussed last week. It's also Russia and Israel and perhaps others. Yeah. But the crime isn't the conversation. The crime was that he lied about the conversation. So it's sort of one of these it's one of these uh there was there so the invest so the investigation starts to find a crime there was no crime but in the search of a crime he commits a crime Yeah during the normal course of an investigation right So you know like they so they go after him for something it, it turns out he didn't do it but in the in the course of them going after him well he did do it he did communicate with Russia that's the problem But, but he lied about actually doing it I can tell you behind the scenes I guarantee you right now the conversation is is we can't go after Flynn for these for these conversations because this is a total normal part of the incoming government it happens all the time. Uh, we'll get we'll get we'll come back to that but but, but the but the question is why. Right. Well and and the sanctions and all that. Yeah, we'll get yeah, to, yeah, it's yeah. it's a complicated matter. We'll get right. to all of it but yeah. just to con- continue to set up a little bit of the backstory. So yeah, so Flynn's charged with lying. December with Russia's ambassador to the US Sergei Kislyak when in fact he did. The first, December 22nd, someone described in court documents as a very senior member of the presidential transition team, directed Flynn to urge foreign governments to oppose a U.N. Security Council resolution against Israel. Flynn has now admitted that he contacted Kislyak and urged Russia to oppose it. Tonight, sources familiar with the matter say that very senior official was Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law. Yeah, but you see, there is actually some big announcements today in regards to Israel. There has been a long building relationship between the Trump campaign and the Trump presidency and Israel and Netanyahu specifically. There has, and I'm sure Jared Kushner has been the input angle for that. I mean, it would. Oh yeah. The second contact came a week later when President Obama announced new sanctions on Russia because of its election meddling. Flynn has told prosecutors... Fact! Election meddling! Fact! ...that senior transition officials asked him to contact Kislyak again and urged the Russians to go easy on their response to avoid souring relations with the incoming Trump administration. Now, this is the interesting part. So that is meddling with the existing executive office's decisions, their existing governing power. You can't have two president offices. And so that... That they, if they wanted to go the Logan Act direction, it seems like they potentially could. It would be a first. But. And I don't know if this is connected or not, but remember at the time, 
this was around Thanksgiving. And remember Putin and I and I'm remember same thing. Yeah, it was no. Well, remember he's like you know, hey, we're not going to do anything. You can yeah. come over and hang have out your with kids us. Have a come over, right. and have, yeah. This kind of makes sense. This we, makes sense. We said this. We said that yeah. at the time. We yeah. said they they had some sort of behind the scenes communication. Yeah, facts to avoid souring relations with the incoming Trump administration. Four days later, Russia's President Putin said he would not retaliate. That prompted Donald Trump to tweet about Putin, great move, I always knew he was very smart. Remember, we we were talking about this yeah. just about this time last year. Yep. I, yeah. And we, a year yeah. ago, we God. totally yeah. called this whole yeah, thing. we did. I mean, okay, we've got to yeah. stop yeah, pattern, know, but it really, we totally did. Yeah, we did. Uh, and uh, it was obvious. They were sort of pre-positioning. And they wanted Russia to help them fight the fight in ISIS, and they wanted Russia to help them with the UN stuff for Israel, which was on behalf of Israel. Like it was a big kumbaya of multinational government negotiations with the incoming administration. And it's not like they just established these channels for the first time accidentally. All of these huge national powers just all of a sudden spontaneously came up with back channels to communicate with each other. This is an established way that business gets done in DC. Two people familiar with the events say it was a senior transition official at Mar-a-Lago, KT McFarland. Oh, KT. Sometimes Fox News contributor, by the way. Who told Flynn to contact the Russians that second time. The president has said it wasn't him. Did you direct Mike Flynn to discuss sanctions with the Russian ambassador no, I didn't. prior to your no, I didn't. inauguration? No, I didn't. Former FBI Director James Comey says just two days before that comment, the president urged the him answer. in a private meeting to let any we'll Flynn investigation go. I understood him to be saying that what he wanted me to do was drop any investigation connected to Flynn's account of his conversations with the Russians. Today's plea is an important turning point in the Russia investigation. Flynn, a former Trump insider, is now obligated to tell anything he knows about potential collusion with the Russians. The detail in the guilty plea shows he's already cooperating with Mueller's prosecutors, and there's a big incentive for him to keep talking. He's looking at five years in jail if he's not completely truthful. Which will never happen. He will never get five years. No it could way. also be months. It can be as short as months. Yeah. And cooperative. Second, if he fails to meet the requirements of the plea agreement, uh, the prosecutors can pull that agreement and they can charge him with other crimes. Yeah, and he'll get a he'll get a fine of what was it, Chase? Oh. $9,500 yeah, at maximum. Yeah, we were talking about that on side of channels. Which is pocket change for this oh, guy. Psh, he sneezes at that. In a statement, funny. Flynn says his plea is, quote, in the best interests of my family and of our country. He says, I recognize that the actions I acknowledged in court today were wrong, and through my faith in God, I'm working to set things right. Flynn pleaded guilty only to lying to the FBI. As for what he lied about, it is technically illegal for a private citizen, which Flynn was at the time, to negotiate on behalf of the U.S. with a foreign, the US with a foreign country. But nobody's ever been prosecuted for that, Lester. Yeah, yeah, nobody. And so that'd be really something, because that happens a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. So this... this Michael Flynn pleading guilty announcement was one of the biggest explosions of news we've seen in this whole Russia investigation. It was huge. And one of the biggest headlines was made by Brian Ross. He's prepared to testify, we are told by a confidant, against President Trump, against members of the Trump family and others in the White House. He is prepared to testify that President Trump, as a candidate, Donald Trump, ordered him, directed him to make contact with the Russians, which contradicts all that Donald Trump has said at this point. There's another interesting note about this, um, and it's it's something that I've noticed happen over and over and over again since the election was in full swing in 2016. 
And it's this news comes out and then one reputable outlet, generally it's, you know, a lot of times it's been the Washington Post, um, but an outlet comes out and makes a huge bombshell, single sourced, anonymously sourced claim. And it just goes completely viral, yep. and it goes massive, and people freak out. ABC News' Brian <laughs> Ross is reporting, Michael Flynn promised full cooperation to the Mueller team and is prepared to testify that as a candidate, Donald Trump directed him to make contact with the Russians. Yes! <laughs> So she is, in theory, literally cheering the and, collusion of the president that is currently in power yeah. in the United States and his, and his administration with a, another national power. And she's happy. Oh, on top of that? That's what this has come down to. It's not about country. How it is, awkward. Megan McCain, she's on the she's panel. Like, What's there. the big deal? She's, she, well, she's the far person on the right. No, she's McCain's daughter. Yeah. yeah and then all of a sudden, you know, you got Joy Behar here just going off on the deep end. Yeah, yeah, and then so one of them's waiting. So they're waiting for the crowd because one of them's got a funny zinger. You ready? Get ready. Just give it the right timing. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, and it's beginning to look a lot like collusion. Yeah, Uh, it's beginning to look a lot like collusion, Chase. And this this blew up. It was trending on Twitter. It went massive. Uh, of course, Brian Ross then had to retract those claims. And David, a clarification tonight on something one of Flynn's confidants told us and we reported earlier today. He said the president had asked Flynn to contact Russia during the campaign. He's now clarifying that, saying, according to Flynn, candidate Trump asked him during the campaign to find ways to repair relations with Russia and other hotspots. You can tell he's he's a little nervous here. He's moving weird and he's mispronouncing yeah, y- stuff. Yeah, you know why. Because he really <laughs> blew it. He... Well, this was ABC News trying to beat the internet generation and be first instead of being right. And this is one of those. He's, he actually kind of has a history, though, of going with these sources that turned out not. He's, this isn't the first time he's done this. Oh, no. And I, I would be surprised after the end of his four week suspension that he'll be back. Really? I'd really? be really surprised. So he's sort of nervous. And at this point, this was at, at first they didn't quite know how to handle this. So their first response was actually nothing for about two hours. And then after that, it was, well, we're making a clarification. Campaign to find ways to repair relations with Russia and other hotspots. And then hotspots. after the election, the president-elect asked him to, and told him to contact Russia on issues, including working together to fight ISIS, David. Before and after. And in the meantime. Yeah, that was a little awkward. And... <clears throat> Brian Seltzerwater over at CNN says it's causing a crisis of faith in the media. NBC firing Matt Lauer and ABC suspended Brian Ross. These are two very different cases, to be sure. Lauer accused of sexual misconduct. Ross admitting to sloppy journalism. But both lead to a common result. Questions about the credibility and the accountability of the people who deliver us the news. What kind of style would you say Seltzer Water has? Is it? It's like it's like medium shouting at you, <laughs> light shouting. Yeah, yeah. L- light eagerness. Uh, yeah. So, do you think this has caused a crisis? I don't. I don't think it's changed the opinion at all. One one no, iota. I think people I, already. I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I I've spoken with friends that have varying opinions on this uh, in the news organizations, and they, they've they've all mostly have said, you know, this is good on ABC for. Getting it right, they don't like how they kind of categorized it as uh, what was what was the term? Uh, you know, we have a correction to make or Clarification. whatever. Clarification. 
there shouldn't have been a clarification in the first place because they were, again, trying to rush to get information out there to try to be first instead of instead of worrying about the ratings. And I think the NBC, uh, ABC News president kind of said that I'm paraphrasing, but it's about getting it right and journalistic integrity. And ABC News took a hit in that integrity. You know, they they don't have a lot of, you know, they don't have cable shows and things like that. You know, they don't have like a, you know, online network per se. You know, they have like their big roundtable thing every Sunday where they, you know, we, we've played clips on the show where George Stephanopoulos talks to people. This is a hit. And, you know, they're going to have to earn that back. So I think it's I think it not only is it good on him for for uh, giving him a suspension, but see, I think it's only the tip of the iceberg. So guys like Brian Ross and Charlie Rose and Matt Lauer have something in common. And it's not the sexual predator aspect, because as far as we know, Brian Ross has no connection to any of that. It's the obscene amount of money that they make. These people are their news stars. And uh, just put this in perspective. If you took Matt Lauer's $25 million a year salary, and you took the average journalist salary, which is in the U.S., surprisingly, is only $50,000, I'm sure it depends on where you work, but the average U.S. journalist salary is $50,000. And if you took Matt Lauer's salary, if, if they took that and they just hired new reporters, they could hire 500 reporters. And just by firing Matt Lauer, if they wanted to, NBC could, could hire 500 new reporters. And I bet you Brian Ross, he might not be 500 reporters, but I bet you he's, he's 20 or 30. Yeah. And they could have 20 or 30 well-paid invest because they could probably be more than 50,000 well-paid investigative journalists who could get this shit right. But instead, they're just looking for the next person to spend $25 million a year on. And then they thin it out it down, lower down in the herd to keep up the to keep the cost down. Do you want 500 reporters on Matt Lauer's salary? I'll put a link to this. This is this is based on research uh, by Seattle Times reporter Mike Rosenberg. Uh, he did the math on it's, this. It, and it's totally true. I mean, and you see this. And the weird thing is you actually are seeing this happen even in local TV stations and markets where, you know, you have high priced talent and anchors that have been there for, you know, 10, 20 years. Right. So they've built up a reputation and a salary. And then what happens is they they ax them. They pay less yes. for the new guy. I mean, imagine you know, even yeah. if it wasn't uh, 500 journalists, let's just say it was yeah. let's say it was a hundred exceedingly well paid journalists by firing Matt Lauer. That has to be a net gain. To their overall uh, journalist integrity, and you know, it's. I just think it's probably the same thing for Brian Ross. And I think until they start thinking in that terms, uh, the internet's going to keep kicking their ass because there's just such a wider scale. Um, and I, I, I don't. I just, yeah, yeah. It's so you want to move back. You want to get back on track and keep talking about. Let's go back to Flynn because that's. I think that Brian Ross thing is a bit of a sideshow. It is a sideshow. I uh, mean, I mean, at the end of the day, Flynn put you know. Yeah. So let's keep. So there. So there was talk that Flynn was. So Flynn was supposedly told to make these contacts. Who did the talking? Who did the telling? This weekend, there's more evidence that Michael Flynn was acting on behalf of President Trump's transition team when he was in contact with the Russian ambassador to the United States. Joining me now from Washington, D.C., is one of the reporters on that story, Sharon Lafreniere. So what what did the White House say at the time of his firing, and and what did you find? So the narrative until Friday was that Michael Flynn had talked to the Russian ambassador uh, about the sanctions on December 29th, and there was nothing illegal or unethical about that, but he did not own up to it when uh, 
Vice President Pence and others in the White House asked him about it. But what we learned on Friday... Now, let's stop here. So this is supposedly how it's always been all along. Now there is um, potential, there is concern that perhaps maybe Trump and others knew he had been lying to the FBI. And there was... A whole hoopla about a tweet. Unverified allegations and deceit swirl around the White House as accusations build over the motive of President Trump's firing of former FBI director James Comey in May. Now, that's all back in the spotlight after Michael Flynn, who was Trump's security advisor, admitted last week he had lied about the talks he had with Russian officials, with uh, Democrats saying Comey's firing, who was investigating links to Moscow, amounts to an obstruction of justice. What we're beginning to see is the putting together of a case of obstruction of justice. I think we see this in the indictments, Mm -hmm. the four indictments and pleas uh, that have just taken place. It's a lot of it's a lot of whiplash. So it's meddling, then it's collusion, then it's then it's obstruction of justice. Then we were back to collusion, and now it's meddling. Nope, nope, sorry, sorry, wrong. I'm getting confused. That's right, it's obstruction of justice again. <laughs> he sets out that he wasn't acting as a rogue agent, that in fact he was acting with the knowledge and at the direction of people who were senior members of the transition team, I think probably all of which uh, ultimately ended up in the administration. Sheriff Woody out there once again, always You're out there. You're a good friend. He's always this this impartial investigator is always out there making sure he's pushing the hot political button stories as fast as and hard as he can. It's nice of you for uh, to give him your friend some compliments. Good job, Sheriff. Good job. Well, Donald Trump tweeted on Saturday to explain that he had fired Flynn for lying to the vice president and to the FBI. But critics say that Trump has in fact incriminated himself Uh-oh. by admitting that he knew about the lies in his Twitter post. But as Jacqueline Vuga explains, the mainstream media has descended into what looks like another fake news frenzy. After almost a year of investigations into whether Team Trump and Big Bad Russia were in on it together, the only concrete things to come out of those inquiries is a couple charges of making false statements and a shocking revelation that we knew a year ago. This building doesn't see anything necessarily uh, you know, inappropriate about contact between members of the incoming administration and foreign officials, no, no. matter what country they're from, no. right? No. And, and again, this has been ongoing. We have no, um, you know, no comment or no uh, uh, problem with them doing such on their own. The Obama administration saw no issue in Michael Flynn's conversations with the then Russian ambassador because it was par for the course. But that didn't stop the media running wild over his guilty plea, throwing fact checking to the wind. Now, um, well, there was something that there's something there that they're not touching on yeah. that I think we should talk about. It's this tweet that comes out, and it's this sort of parachute defense that they have. This golden parachute. It was like I imagine, I imagine in the press room they had like on the wall in a glass jar in case of emergency. There is a go-to excuse that you can break this jar and use it. And it, you can use it one time, and it will get you out of jail. They got a one-time get-out-of-jail card. And uh, I really I, – I couldn't believe that the administration's excuse for all of this, for Trump implying that the, they, they knew he lied to the FBI, well, they had a great excuse for it. They got, they got a perfect cover. They just had to break that glass. Tonight, damage control. The president's outside counsel, John Dowd, saying he dictated this tweet to an aide sent from the president's Twitter account Saturday. 
Wait a minute. At real Donald Trump isn't tweeting his own tweets. The heart of what makes Donald Trump the new social media president. Wait a minute now. That doesn't that doesn't jive with anything we've heard. They just they just have this perfect. Oh well. See, Donald Trump didn't implicate himself because he didn't write the tweet. Right? You see? Yeah. So he's good. The lawyer wrote the tweet. Doesn't matter. Prove it. Isn't this? It's you, on his account. What did you think when you? And he's verified. Yeah. I mean, they better remove that verified check mark. <laughs> Don't get started. I had started. to fire General <laughs> Flynn because he lied to the vice president and the FBI. The tweet sparked an uproar because it implied the president knew his former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, lied to the FBI and then asked FBI director James Comey to go easy on Flynn. Dowd telling NBC News he's responsible and that the president did not know Flynn had lied to the FBI when he fired him. Dowd also adding, I'm out of the tweeting business. I did not mean to break news. News. Uh, you told, told you. So they had a one time break the glass, use this as an excuse. You can't use it again. Because, you know, here's my, you, I got, I, this is, I guess I you could I'm call sorry. it bacon. You know what? I don't believe it. I don't, I don't believe, I don't believe it. it. Sorry. I think Trump has a tendency to sort of uh, retroactively adjust his statements to, to make it look like he was always aware of something. Right. I can't give a specific example, but it seems like in a, in a casual conversation, Trump would just toss in there, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, he was lying to the FBI, so I fired him for that, too. Like, it was like a double down on the justification of why he fired Comey, because remember, that in itself is a controversial thing. So it's like he's double downing on the justification because he can't help himself. It's, hey, look, here's another great reason why I fired Comey. If it came out that he was, if Comey was a Russian spy, he'd be tweeting about that. If, it, if there was some major revelation about what Comey actually, in fact, leaked, he would be tweeting about that because it doubles down on his justification for firing this, this controversial figure. And so he threw that in there to the mix because it's one more reason why Trump made the right decision. He can't, he can't help himself. This is how the man operates. It's what people love in his speeches. And he implicated himself when he did that just by <laughs> his boasting. His boasting implicated himself. And so they're like, shit, we do not need more legal trouble. The Democrats are going to run with this. Sheriff Woody's already out on the media talking about this. Diane Feinstein actually rolled herself into the studio. We got to break the glass <laughs> and use this one-time excuse. And now he's out of the tweeting business. Whatever. I'm this, sorry. I hope they're paying this guy well. I hope this lawyer's getting really well paid because... It takes some serious. It takes see, some serious pay to fall on the sword. See like that. when, I, yeah, not only that, but when I saw the tweet came out, well, it came out on a Saturday, if I remember right. The lawyer didn't come out and make a statement until like Monday. <laughs> well, so no, you know, but, lawyers' offices. No, just. but what I think was they they came up with a plan. All right, how we're gonna how we're gonna they get had to debate if they want to break the glass or not? Yeah, really. No, I yeah. Breaking case of emergency. Yeah. Um, now, that said, I don't think necessarily it means Trump knew one way or the other. No. I don't necessarily think it does. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Trump isn't a big details guy. I'm out of the tweeting business. I did not mean to break news. News, some say, if true, raises questions about a possible obstruction of justice charge against the president. Republican Senator Lindsey Graham warning. You tweet and comment uh, regarding ongoing criminal investigations at your own peril. I'd be careful if I were you, Mr. President. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's good advice, actually. You know, does Surprisingly that sober moment from Lindsey Graham. Now, does that explain the possibility why the 
tweet frequency has decreased over the past few days. It comes and goes, though. Yeah. It's like as they keep them busy, it comes and goes. I wonder if someone's uh, you know charted that out like a line graph. Somebody will. Yeah, I'm sure. I, it's, I bet. I bet his Twitter feed will be a source of historical studies at some point. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Now, as we record this episode, I haven't checked to see. I, I imagine it must have wrapped up by now. But as I went live today, your buddy, my friend, your good friend, oh, Donald right. Trump Jr. Ah, oh, DJ was answering was answering was answering questions. Uh, um, on his meeting with that Russian lawyer, it started at 10 a.m. and I went 10 a.m. Um, I believe East Coast time, and I went live 3 p.m. Pacific time, and it was still going. Wow. Yeah. So I don't know exactly how long that was because I don't know when they wrapped up, but that is a marathon questioning session. Unfortunately, it sounds like not much. Not not much. Watching closely, the president's son, Donald Trump Jr. on Capitol Hill right now. And at this moment, he is meeting privately with the House Intelligence Committee. You're looking at him uh, leaving the Trump International Hotel. The Intelligence Committee is interesting because that means it's stuff that you have to be sort of... um, Oh, I don't want to sound like an idiot and use the wrong term, but you have certain clearances for. Right. There's a term for it. I'm forgetting what it's called. But you have certain clearances to know certain kinds of information, and, and only the Intelligence Committee has that, other than the CIA and the NSA themselves. Earlier on today. So he's now on the Hill. It comes as we've got new reporting, exclusive details about that June 2016 meeting at Trump Tower between top Trump campaign officials, including Trump Jr., and a Russian lawyer. Here's the deal. We got our hands on that written testimony to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Natalia Veselnitskaya, the lawyer, says Don Jr. asked her in that meeting if she had evidence of illegal donations to the Clinton Foundation. Wait, I thought it was about oh. child adoptions, Chris. <laughs> oh, oh, really? Yeah, we really thought it was about that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I just, lawyer for I Trump Jr. declined wonder. to comment. And hey, if this is not enough for you, the president's personal lawyer is now disputing reports. The special counsel's team has subpoenaed Deutsche Bank for the president's records. We got a lot to get through right now. We're going to start with NBC's Casey Hunt, who is following developments on the Hill. NBC's Ken Delanian is also with us for more on his exclusive reporting. Casey, first to you. This is appearance number two, I think, for Don Jr. on the Hill. He's probably going to be asked about that June meeting, right? That's right, Hallie. And uh, yes, this is, this is his first appearance before the House Intelligence Committee. And uh, that investigation has spent a lot of time, and, and Democrats in particular, obviously, have spent a lot of time trying to reconstruct that Trump Tower meeting with the Russian lawyer. And so uh, they, at this point, feel they've talked to basically everybody uh, in that room who's able to talk. Obviously, Paul Manafort uh, now ensnared in the special counsel's investigation. Uh, But they, uh, this is an indication, the fact that they are talking to Don Jr., that they are kind of closing the loop a little bit on that. But I will say, Democrats are frustrated that the way that the Republicans have run these appearances. You know, I'll say before before they just go off the rails, he, in particular, seems to be playing an interesting strategy with this whole each, – each person is sort of playing their own game. But Junior's seems to be, you want the papers? Here's all the papers and I'm going to tweet them out. And right. it's, now he's done that twice. And now this is the second marathon hearing he's gone to where he just apparently sits there and he gives the impression he's answering a lot of questions. He is going to – I mean if he walks away from this um, without any trouble – He's gonna he's gonna have a pretty good. He's like, look, I really I gave him all my papers. I get did tons of interviews. Like he's gonna have like the like the Hillary Clinton Benghazi defense at that point. <laughs> uh, so I true. So politically, he may be uh, inoculated for quite a bit after this if they make it through this. 
Speaking of Hillary, uh, her good buddy, John Podesta, had a really awkward moment recently. And uh, I think he got a little triggered and it happened to get caught on camera. Uh, First of all, thank you so much for being here, Mr. Podesta. Oh, there we go. Okay, so you've talked a lot about Trump, his administration, Clinton, the election. I'm wondering if you can address some of the controversies or maybe just conspiracy theories tied to you, your brother, and the Podesta group. Uh Uh-oh, he's thinking to himself, shit, I just got myself one of these journalism students here. This is what Uh, happens when I go to these damn college events. Universities. One of these these, uh, educated uh, university journalists. She wants to go work at NBC. So whether that's your personal email leak as it relates to Pizzagate... The undisclosed 75,000 shares of stock you received from the Kremlin, Uh-oh. potentially violating financial disclosure laws. Oh, man. Uranium One being a client of wow, the Wow, you see the hand ju- yeah, the, the yeah, wrap yeah. it up, the wrap Come it up. Come on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the TVQ style. And look at the, look at the uh, interviewer who's just sitting there like a dope. Look at that guy. He's not doing a thing. And so Podesta gets a little worked up here. Um, not a big fan of his response. Didn't really answer the question. Being a client of the Podesta group. Why your brother left the Podesta group after facing criminal inquiry. As an inspiring person in politics, I'm curious as to how you're dealing with all of these accusations. Thank you. Uh, This is how the alt-right does fake news. You know what? F you, man. I'm going to call F you. That is, you see, it's like when you yell Russia, F Russia, you. Russia, when you yell alt, alt-right, when you yell fake news, it doesn't matter if you're Trump, it doesn't matter if you're John Podesta, it's crying wolf, and you, you completely lose your effectiveness. Uh, this is how the alt-right does fake news. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and it's personally painful because a lot of this is really total bullshit. And I am sick of the you know, I mean, I have been. What's bullshit? My, my family and I have All been put through this Pizzagate bullshit uh, from from for now for a year, uh, which has been totally debunked. By the way, totally, totally. Debunked. God, this guy's a creep. Uh, uh, my relationship with the company that you're talking about, which was based in Boston, an American. Uh, innovative company, I fully disclosed. And You're right there, Fox Chris. has had to Sorry, correct man. that Sorry. twice. I could go down the rest of your list. I have no relationship. It's funny, he's already lying. So, I mean, some of the Pizzagate stuff and some of the things she's talking about, like the Uranium One disclosures and the Podesta group emails, or uh, disclosures, they all come from emails, his emails. And the disclosures he's talking about that he made were after the fact, after they got caught. So he's even mis- misleading uh, in his response to her. Man, John, just open up another spam email. Go for it. So I can't find very much coverage on what's going on with Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Just super quick recap. Of course, you remember Debbie. She was the ousted head of the DNC. That's who Donna Brazil replaced after it came out that they were hedged against Bernie. She be she got the super cush position from Hillary Clinton, helped Hillary uh, in Florida, and then of course uh, she's remained politically uh, active in Florida and has people that work for her, has a staff, and part of that staff is an IT group. And this IT group turns out to be connected to a bunch of cyber theft and um, reselling back machines to Congress and just all of this really shady shit. And not a lot of people are talking about it because it's a major scandal. I mean, it's like a legit cyber leak of really important data. But I did find one recent clip on what's going on with all of this. Scenario. What about the IT guy of Debbie Wasserman Schultz that got four counts today charged with? So we got four counts on one of the IT guys. Now, there was a pair. So I don't know what's going on with the brother. 
Yeah, very interesting, right? There's a lot we don't know in that case as well. But this is a gentleman that worked in the ID department, had access to congressional computers, congressional secrets, possibly her DNC email. And he's now been indicted on, on four charges, um, mostly related to bank fraud and other questions that have come up. But there's a lot of new information that I'm hearing in law enforcement circles that they're developing about what he did at day, at night. And I think they're, you know, they're looking at some possible connections to other activity besides the, the charges that were filed today. And I think we're going to learn a lot from the Capitol Police, the FBI, in the coming months about that case. That's a very open and uncertain question about what happened to Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Man, 2016 has like these ripples that will are still affecting us today. It really is like it's like yeah. a drama series. It's, yeah. it's I don't I So we'll see. We'll see what goes on there. We'll see, Chase. We'll see. Hey, before we go into the high note, do we have anything in the sack? To oh, yes, we do. Really? Justin. Reclaiming my time. Oh, Maxine, no. I'm reclaiming my time. I have five minutes of general order speaking right now. <laughs> wow, really? For the sack. That's right. The sack is back. By the way, did you hear, Chris? Nice. What's, what, is this new lighting you have in here? Oh, uh, no, no, no. That's what is new... that, some sort of energy saving system? Well, that's a new uh, warp drive install. The sack has a warp drive? Well, of course. It's got to go all around the galaxy getting all the great Club 33 As far emails. as I know, people only on Earth are listening. I think you could dial it down a bit. Okay, anyways, what all do right, we got? Fair enough. By the way, did you know, by the way, that CBS has a new anchor? Yeah, well, is he... Yeah, no one knows. No one cares. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That guy's the new anchor? Jeff Glore. Not a big fan of Jeff. Not yeah, a big Jeff guy. is the Not new a... anchor CBS News. He's, he doesn't. He's no Scott Pelley. Don't worry, nobody knows who he is. Uh, let's move on to the sack. Veratuna writes in and says, "Well, aside from the Brexit stuff in Ireland sort of unraveling, and the revelations about the UK and other U- EU countries siphoning money to known terrorists by the way of the Adam Smith Institute." It's... Hey, Chase, could you flip that switch over there for me? Here we go. Thank you. Uh, there Thank you, you go. Yeah. Uh, it itself is somewhat a shady effort as a CIA front. If we ever saw one. One of the burning issues of the day is how ISIS is defeated in Syria, but the BBC is still spinning news reports about Assad bombing his own people while simultaneously being suspiciously silent about, quote, unidentified planes bombing government forces far away from the lines of ISIS, which, by the way, this stuff is not even really being covered right now by the U.S. media. He's That's me saying that, not him, but this together with the rather gruesome death of ex-Yamani President Ali Abdullah Salah, you have to wonder what is going to happen to SA in the short to medium term if uh, if they continue to drive Yemen into the dust with no one left to be friendly to them. But far from being a diplomat, Trump has decided history's most contested city, Jerusalem, which for a thousand years was shared between three ethnic religions, happily suddenly belongs to Israel. Does this man only open his mouth to change feet? The world is becoming a desperately sad place, and that's not even having to look at what is going on here at home. Jeez, that's a downer, Veratuna. This is I a downer. Know. But, you know, he's speaking some truth here. That being said, at least sex bots are making the 10 o'clock news now. Bread and circuses, my friends. Bread and circuses. Reclaiming my time. I wonder if for 2018 we need to put a paragraph limit on this thing. Well, that's pretty. But, pretty it, but this is Club 33. These I are agree. Our, these I agree. are our, our prize. I agree. Supporters. But there's a little. There could you could argue there's a little grandstanding in time there. Uh, but I'm just saying. All right. Well, all right, I don't know. Well, we'll, we'll confirm we'll, with the unfiltered Congress. We can. Yeah, we can discuss. Yeah, we can discuss. Could but, be a 2018. But you know, here's here are two other patrons that are have uh, limited themselves to the Maxine Waller's limit. Uh, uh, Death Midas writes and says, "Hey, Chase." One thing you didn't mention is all the buzz 
around cutting over one million acres from the Beer、uh, Bears Ears National Monument. Oh, geez, how could we? How could we have not mentioned it? it just happened. We haven't been、yeah. on the air since it happened. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, yesterday. I okay. Think,、right? All right, but fair enough. Fair enough. As of this point, we have not mentioned it. The creation of this monument is something Obama did to the to the applause and dismay of many, with less a month left before leaving office. I want、yeah. to get your take. The only stuff. I know about on this death is I know that a lot of tribal groups, a lot of you know,、um, you know, nature conservatory groups. It wasn't like a last second thing per se. I mean, they were lobbying. I think Obama and the administration on this for nearly a year, maybe two years. So it was a long term thing that obviously Obama put through. In my opinion, I don't like how quickly it seems that Trump, you know, jumped on this situation, and how they're splitting up all the land and for these business groups. But I also understand that that part of the country, you know, they need those jobs, they need those incomes, and there's some things in those areas. So I do a, sometimes wonder if. If、uh, some of Trump's motivation isn't just to systematically undo as Every- much of what Obama did, simply as a go f you for all for him releasing that dossier throughout the entire federal government and all of that, like、right. I wonder if this isn't like a get him, like you want to screw with me as I'm coming in here,、right. I'm going to screw with you by dismantling your legacy by going after it, it as much as I can. Right, and it just feels like to me not not a lot of analysis was done by the Trump administration before trying to、uh, you know, undo these. I、things. don't those in regards to the state parks. I、uh, or the national. Monuments? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. The national. Yeah. The, the state parks and the national monuments are two things that、uh, I actually care deeply about, but I don't have a strong opinion in this particular case. I'd really like to know what the audience thinks.、Yeah. Uh, I mean, what you could see possibly happen here is if it's a popular thing amongst Congress, is these could turn into national parks, and then because basically, in a nutshell, national monuments are formed by presidents through the Antiquities Act, and the national parks are formed through Congress. One more. One more. Michael writes in, "Hey guys, I'm sorry not be able to catch a live feed today. I wanted to come、uh, and give some feedback on Trump's lawyer taking the heat for the tweet about firing Comey. Is Twitter now going to become a way to make a statement with no real accountability? Yep. Is there an example of this in the past that I'm unaware of? Conversely, what types of laws can we foresee taking root as a result of behavior like this in, on all forms of social media?" Uh, to be fair, Michael, it, it's kind of like you know. I think the terms of service,、uh, even for a president, says you know you can't really share your account like that. Oh, everybody in the yeah, they it, everybody does. But at the end of the day, whose name's on the account? I do whine because I want to win. Yeah, fair enough. If you want to be a part of our Patreon Club Thirty Three Sack segment, head on over to Patreon.com/slash/unfilter. You could jump in and become an investor today. You get access to the sack. Emails and also swag items from time to time. We do, we do ask, please, if you、uh, if you can help.、Uh, we're we,、uh, we're down on momentum. Momentum well, has been down. It is that always happens every time. That's one thing that is that has been true of this show time and time again.、Um, and so, <clears throat> I'm not saying this is like a because nobody's contributing, we're going to stop doing the show. But I have been thinking. <clears throat> My other experience tells me that that's because people are just not watching the show as much right now because they have too much other shit going on, and they don't really feel like anything that's like, oh my god, changing the world happened this week. So we have to we have to keep unfilter around,、uh, and I totally understand that. So I I was thinking if the momentum keeps slow for next week, I think that's sort of. Maybe our permission to take the twentieth and the twenty seventh off to just take the last two weeks of December off because I could use some downtime too, just for like a rest from all of this noise all the time. Although it's kind of a catch twenty two, is I can't really stop following the news, 
but it, no, I can at least slow. Yeah, I can at least slow down a little bit. Right. Uh, and then we would be back on the third. So our first episode would be in, so we'd have one more episode this year. That would be next week. Next week would be the last episode of the year of the year wow. on the thirteenth. Okay, right. number thirteen, and then we'd have the twentieth off and the twenty seventh off, and be back on the third. Now I'm not totally sold on this, and I feel like there would be room if there was breaking news, but. One thing that the last couple of years has happened to us every single year <clears throat> is we've gotten to mid-December or about to the end of December, and I thought we should have taken the last two weeks off because the, 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 the donations drop way off. The, pa- the new patron subscriptions drop way off. Existing patrons are like, well, if you guys can take a couple of weeks off and recharge your batteries and come back in 2018, that's going to make it an even better show. Right. So they're generally on board. So it's like every, it's kind of like everybody seems to be okay because the general audience isn't really catching up, and the patrons tend to understand. Well, you know, it's the holidays. Part of it, part of it me too is you know this presidency by far. The, <laughs> oh God! <laughs> hold on. By far, it's over been the, rough on you, buddy. It's well, been rough. I've been I've been sitting back and enjoying the content. Well, it's not but. just rough on me. But I mean, <laughs> it, it's one of those things where you know we are just get constant barrage of hate and negativity uh, through all sides here and it's one of those things for me where you know sometimes you need to kind of stay, take a step back kind of decompress and so if yeah if there's no breaking news and and no more yeah. flynn drops if something or anything happens, like that yeah or like you know uh, <laughs> trump's impeached or something like that we will I, or you know some there's some sort of huge protest yeah to, if, or something major and even that neutrality i think would be worth coming back for right so which by the way to be fair as soon as that thing passes the lawsuit once it hits the register which i think is january or february then there'll be lawsuits so yeah that's true it's going to be okay, but if that if that is if next week is the last show of the year, I might I, I'm thinking about it might open up, up the sack yeah. to five dollars or up. Can we keep it a little shorter? But, though? Oh yes, okay. you you would have I would I'm going to be everybody. editor and everybody. everybody just because I know some of you you know want to give some thoughts uh, for the past year. I think that's a great idea. That could even be the topic like the like on reflection. Like I was thinking about this today. What's like, your top event for 2017? Oh, I don't know, but the one that I'm There's the, a lot. the one that my attention's coming back to that has faded from the mainstream media now is <clears throat> excuse me. Mainly the floods in Texas, although there was more than Texas that ended up flooding. Puerto but, Rico, yeah, yeah, Florida, yeah. But be- because you know I have uh, friends and family down in Texas, like I would, I if I could, if I could, like in that two weeks we take off, I wish I could jump on a plane or get in my RV and go down there and see what the hell's going on because I my thoughts have returned back to one of the, because there's some of the stories that have dropped off. So I'd like to know what the audience stories are that have dropped off the radar or ones you think are going to be just totally going to take a U-turn or something like that. That, how about that as a topic? Yeah. So the topic is the biggest stories of the year that have sort of been dropped off the radar. What are we missing these days? What are we, what are we no longer talking about that's a real head smacker? Yeah. Or if you got a prediction of 2018, that'll be accepted as well. Patreon.com slash unfilter, $5 or more. Now we just got to remember to do it. Set yourself a reminder. Over I will set myself a reminder. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Thank you, everybody, for supporting us. And Absolutely. stick around for the overtime, which is dedicated to our supporters. It's available to everybody. But it is uh, brought to you by our patrons and dedicated to them. So, mommy needs a joy. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> mommy. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about the state of uh, technology in the marijuana industry. I think this is an industry that is poised to really kind of ride a new wave of technology. Think about when alcohol was uh, when alcohol was. Um, what do you call it when something's no longer prohibited? Uh, 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 when, uh, when when the prohibition was repealed. Let's just kind of say that. Yeah, yeah. Words are hard today. Um, 
like the big the big trend, the big technology really was maybe newspapers, cameras, being able to put photos in the newspaper. Uh, but it didn't. It wasn't like it wasn't like this huge enabler for the industry. But cannabis is getting legalized at a time where we have internet phones and tablets and Bitcoin and all these different answers that a up and coming industry is likely to be pretty primed to take advantage of. They're not huge, old, established companies. They don't really have anything set in their ways. They don't have ginormous budgets, so they're more inclined to use technological shortcuts. And there's some fascinating things happening in this area. You add products, attempt to close out a sale. Charlie Wilson is in Maryland this week equipping medical marijuana dispensaries with green bits. It's a point-of-sale technology helping ensure dispensary owners stay compliant by tracking and syncing inventory in real time with the state, managing patient limits, and ensuring patients have the proper ID. We serve about 800 retailers, uh, handling about $2 billion in sales activity across seven states. Uh, this week we're entering Maryland as Maryland opens its market. Um, we've built, uh, it's the square for cannabis, purpose-built for this industry to help business owners grow their business and stay compliant. So basically a patient's going to come in here, we have an armed security guard. Brian Hill is hopeful the technology will help his business run smoothly. He's the owner of Charm City Medicus and in the process of getting his dispensary off of North Point Boulevard up and running. We have uh, many patients that are contacting us, whether they have cancer, uh, veterans with PTSD, or, or children with some ailments that we can help support. Getting patients that support has been a journey. Background checks, zoning approvals, compliance inspections, and regulatory requirements have dozens of dispensaries awaiting a final decision. Only two have opened in the state so far. This is our waiting area. We're going to have two TVs that are streaming educational content. Hill has been pre-approved by the Maryland Medical Cannabis Commission, has a state inspection later this week, and hopes to open and use green bits by the new year. It's kind of an interesting technology. Yeah. And it's letting them get around that uh, no banking system problem, which is really kind of the killer. I don't know if I like all the tracking. But but then, you know, you got to have some sort of level of security here, especially, I mean, you hear about it, you know, big heists and break-ins and stuff. So there's you got to have yeah. a way to funnel. Different governments or different local governments are going to need different levels of oversight to feel comfortable with the big scary weed. Um, we talk a lot about recently about the medical uses of cannabis with kids. Number one, it pushes those emotional buttons that seems to resonate with people. But recently, there's there's been a, a very good spokesperson for the cause, and I think maybe in doing so, we haven't really focused on another group that perhaps is the most effed. The most effed by this dogged, thick-headed mentality that you can't allow the people that are suffering the most to have executive governance over their own body and decide what goes in them to help relieve pain because a little more research is needed. Now, I'm not anti-research. In fact, I'm like all for it. Research, I wish we could have been researching cannabis for the last 45, 50 Just years. Just make sure it's not biased. Yeah, absolutely. I'm all for research. Yeah. But I'm, I am also at the same time, I am so disgusted by this, by this sort of remote Washington, D.C. mentality that somebody in some, in some other place shouldn't have governance over their own body and shouldn't be able to relieve their own suffering while that research goes on. And this affects veterans more so than almost any other category. The nightmares had gotten so painful that Roberto Pickering started drinking himself to death. When I got back from Iraq, I, I felt like in an eggshell, and I was just doing all this self-destructive behavior that I could 
think of to not feel anything at all. The Marine sniper was prescribed 14 different drugs as he battled post-traumatic stress until he turned to pot. I stopped all the pills cold turkey and I picked up cannabis because in my opinion it was either uh, it was either fine relief or suicide. He's one of a growing number of veterans who say medical marijuana is helping treat PTSD symptoms and is a less addictive alternative to opioids. I think we're desperately seeking new treatments for PTSD. Near Phoenix, Dr. Sue Sisley is running the first FDA-approved trial of its kind. Can you believe that, finally? Now, it's like, you know, it's now, understandable it, because cannabis just started the, growing 10 years ago. Now, is this so. the ditch stuff that that one university was growing? Yeah, the worst weed ever. That's not effective at all or anything like that? I'm not sure where they get the weed from. That's a good because it's just a bag of hash. It looks yeah. like it doesn't actually look like it's good weed. We believe cannabis will reduce the severity of the PTSD symptoms. Twenty-three states list PTSD as a qualifying condition for medical marijuana, but a recent report funded by the VA found there's not enough hard evidence to make firm conclusions about. There it is. So you know, you get, so we have one study going on where they get a big bag of shake and they can just throw in a little machine and spin it around for a while and try to figure out if it's medically safe. But since we don't have enough evidence, because we've never allowed research before this, nobody else can take care of themselves. Funded by the VA, found there's not enough hard evidence to make firm conclusions about the drug's effectiveness. What might feel good in the short term is not necessarily good in the long term. That is such a belittling. This is so. This guy is a representative, Kevin Sorbet. Here is. A representative of smart approaches to marijuana. Guess where they get their funding from? People that are totally against marijuana use. Well, first of all, calling it marijuana is your first red flag right there because anybody that's pro-use doesn't call it marijuana. They call it cannabis. Marijuana is intentional slang. It's racial slang. You can look into the history of it so that you know right there that they're not a pro-organization. And rather than look at anecdote and stories, let's look at the overall picture. Now, I completely agree that you cannot just go off anecdotes. You can't just go off stories. Why not allow self-experimentation yeah. and let people discover on their own while you do your research? I don't think you can – you don't necessarily – Because, you Chris can't take, You can have one and you Chris, can have the other. Chris. It's not exclusive. It's because you know what it's about. It's about the kids. And, you know, you can't have the kids going out there sure. and seeing a medical benefit. Uh, right. We'd much rather they get to your opioids. That's yeah, much, yeah, yeah. much better. Yeah, the answer to present medications, yes. Roberto Pickering just wants more research done. They're coming back from a war, and, you know, they're fighting a new war here in America, and that war is a suicide and opioid epidemic. A battle he hopes to fight with a different weapon. Gabe Gutierrez, NBC News, Phoenix. Thanks, Gabe. Wow. Well, as we wind into the holiday season, you might be needing a break. Say, a break from all of this news all of the negative attention that's out there, and you maybe you want to release, you want to relax. Whoa, buddy. You might want to check out Chris's vlog over there at youtube.com slash Chris Fisher. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I I would say there's if you've never seen the vlog, there is some there's some stuff there that may surprise you. Also, I'm gonna give a little rando plug. Mr. West Payne and I are rebooting TechSnap tomorrow. What? So, Tech so I can tomorrow. say this. Tech Snap tomorrow. Yeah, and it's big. It's a it's wow. a it's a big re it's a like it's a rebirth. It's a rebirth. It's oh, Tech I Snap TNG. I can't wait. Yeah. Yeah. We've, so wait, wait, but you already had a beard. Yeah, yeah. All right, friend. 
That's that's a Nori. I, I could just peel it off, <laughs> yeah. and all of a sudden I'm evil, Chris. That's right. <laughs> what about you, buddy? Can people find you on? Oh, also mention all the Twitter at Chris Elias if you want to follow me on there. There you go. That'd be a good place. But you don't you don't happen to have a Twitter, do you? I do. Oh. I, I am the verified checkmark Twitter uh, at Nunes yeah. N U N E S. Yeah, go check out the hate coming to Chase's feed. That's right. Very soon. Very very much hate coming and, soon. Uh, any any other links? That yeah, maybe YouTube, people may be interested in YouTube.com/slash/geekgamertv. Oh, and I also have a Discord that you guys can jump. Into Shut your face. Discord.gg slash GeekGamer New information. GeekGamer TV on the Discord. Yep, our Boom. Discord, Discord.me slash Jupiter Colony. And there is an official, an official unfiltered chat room what? where you can find the entire back catalog of the chat room that's been going across the screen for the video. You can comment there. Discussion continues throughout the week. Discord.me slash Jupiter Colony. Our live times, JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar. Join us for the last one of the year. The last one? JBLive.tv next Wednesday. OMG, OMG, OMG. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of Unfiltered. And we'll see you right back here next week. Next week! (laughs) Oh, my goodness! I lost my beard! OMG, OMG, OMG. Mommy needs a joint. show's not over yet. Slow and steady wins the race. It's time for Overtime! Brought to you by our patrons, patreon.com slash unfiltered. And I know that each of you understand you have the power Yes, yes. We have three new subscribers. The holiday drawl is here. We seem to be going down a cliff a little bit, so if you want to help us pick up the momentum, it'd be much appreciated. Only a limited time left this year to get in in 2017. But thank you very, very much to Shawnee G, who's very excited, apparently, based on the amount of exclamation marks. Dustin and Alex B., our three new patrons this week at patreon.com slash unfiltered. This segment is brought to you by those three people and all of our patrons at patreon.com slash unfiltered. Thank you. Now, we're going to just spend a little time in the O'Nancy segment this week. We just have to remind ourselves why the Democrats aren't going to win a presidency until they correct some of these systemic issues like their public image and the fact that people about my age, slightly younger and slightly older, are becoming a bigger and bigger part of the voting bloc. And to us, some of the people at the top of the Democratic Party look like absolute fools. Good morning. Here it is. The GOP tax scam, GOP tax scam, the GOP tax scam, Uh, it will unravel the ACA. This is Nancy Pelosi, of course, attempting to attack the tax plan. Sneaky ACA reform, uh, repeal, sneaky ACA repeal. It's a lethal attack on the middle class, on America's job, Americans' jobs, good veterans. We need increased veterans spending. I'm sorry, what? 
So it's not just an increase. Emergency disaster funding for Texas, Florida, Puerto Rico, and U.S. Virgin Islands and wildfire. I'm sorry, wildfire? What? And, of course, passing the DREAM Act, which has broad partisan support. Broad partisan. And I repeat, 80 – they're saying this is a middle-income tax cut. 82 million, million middle-class families, judiciary and – uh, HIPS uh, Intelligence Committee. I think if pre- I made my point here. You see, there is a credibility problem. There is a – I'm not believing anything this person says. She stumbles over her words. She can barely come across as sincere about what she's talking about. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have Maxine Waters, who just seems to be going full tinfoil conspiracy. Connected and knows what it is. And, you know, Congresswoman, you have been out there, you know, touting the idea that Donald Trump should face impeachment. Um, that has fallen on deaf ears among your uh, colleagues on the other side of the aisle. Among What Joy means there by deaf ears is that Nancy Pelosi and others want her to desperately shut up. And they're sick and tired of being asked about it in every single interview that they go into. That's that's what Joy means when she says it's fallen on deaf ears within her own party. It's um, I guess it's a little newspeak translation I have to do here. Republicans, does this indictment and this guilty plea of Michael Flynn, does it have you seen it change the attitudes on the other side of the aisle at all? Not yet. Uh, but I think it's going to be hard for the Republicans uh, to continue to be silent and to be standing with this president as it. This is the tip of the iceberg. There's lots more to come. And I think it's going to lead right to not only collusion, obstruction of justice, money laundering. You go. It goes on and on and on. We are at a point in time in the United States of America with a president who is involved in all kinds of things that would shock people, I do believe. Oh. And so I know that I've been calling for impeachment. I know. She knows it. She believes it. I've been criticized. But I know everything that I have learned about him and his allies. Oh, oh, no. Their interest in lifting the sanctions. Does she know something that the investigators don't know? Should she be sharing something with Mueller? What's going on here? Their connection to Putin. Oh. Their connection to the Kremlin. Oh, no. I know that we're going to find that she knows it guys they this president needs to be impeached she knows that she knows that we are going to find that this president needs to be impeached we're going to find that they this president needs to be impeached okay. and, you, know, you the, in, in all seriousness there have been some some, some all real seriousness questions. as in what you just said is ridiculous in all seriousness you're crazy you, know, you the, in, in all seriousness there have been some, some some real questions about donald trump's mental state um not only tony schwartz who is the person who actually wrote the art of the deal bob corker who has called the white house an adult daycare center um uh, you tweeted um on friday mr president there's help for your deteriorating mental health. It's called admitting guilt and telling the truth. Why do you suppose that even with Republicans... Wow, could you imagine if a very prominent Republican tweeted that about Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama? Holy crap. Are you... Are you all the questions. Are you medically qualified to make that assessment? Where did you get that assessment? Have you examined Hillary Clinton? How dare you say that? Republicans, either on background or on the record, questioning this president's mental stability...
They haven't been willing to actually do anything about it. You know, the Republican, uh, the Republican Party is in disarray. I don't know that it is a party anymore. First of all, you're absolutely correct. Uh, they're silent. They aren't saying anything. Tillerson called him a moron. Uh, people are questioning his mental health. And look what they just did with this tax reform bill. They <laughs> created a $1 trillion deficit when they're supposed to be the conservatives concerned about uh, our budget, concerned about our expenditures. So I don't know who the Republicans are anymore. You know, what's interesting is Maxine comes across as much more reasonable and a better presenter when compared to Nancy Pelosi. Do you understand how bad that is for the party? That, see, because Nancy Pelosi is so bad and Schumer looks like such a slime ball, uh, you, you come across with Maxine Waters being one of the better spokespersons for the party, and she's full-on conspiracy. She believes and she knows about impeachment. She believes and she knows it, and she knows it, and she believes it. And you don't need evidence because she knows it and she believes it. What? What? Let's, uh, let's keep talking about uh, Trump, though. There's lots of questions about obstruction of justice recently. There's a big outrage about uh, major changes for a couple of um, national uh, parks in Utah. It's causing a bunch of protests. The uh, movement's called Hands Off Utah. But I want to talk about something else today that's probably going to be the most controversial thing in this show today. And that is Trump's plan to move one embassy. Okay. Meantime, there is another developing story we're keeping an eye on. The international status of Jerusalem. It's one of the Middle East's radioactive issues. Israelis and Palestinians both claim it as their capital. Recognize one and you undermine the other. Hence, the U.S. Embassy being in Tel Aviv. And that's something no U.S. president has sought to change until now. Donald Trump is expected to recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital and begin the process of moving the U.S. embassy there. The official announcement comes tomorrow. But he started making calls today to the Palestinian leader, Mahmoud Abbas, in the West Bank, to Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, and to leaders in Jordan, Egypt, and Saudi Arabia. Abbas, in turn, called Russia. He called France. He even called the Vatican for help. This is what emergency diplomacy looks like. Derek Stoffel picks up the story from Tel Aviv. That's an interesting line there. This is what emergency diplomacy looks like. Extremely expensive phone calls by really important people. Um, this is an interesting story. Just You can tell the framing of it here is, is, is uh, particularly skewed. Uh, emergency diplomacy. Let's, let's go with the story for a little bit more. I think – actually, I want to back up because I think all of this is – this is – how did they know this? This call map here that if you're watching the – I guess this is not as compelling if you're listening. But if you're watching the audio – if you're watching the video version, they have like this black and white map where all these different connections across the world are happening. How did they get this information? I, I, I don't recall if it's in the report. I guess we'll find out. Mahmoud Abbas in the West Bank to Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and to leaders in Jordan, Egypt and Saudi Arabia. Abbas, in turn, called Russia. He called France. He even called the Vatican for help. This is what emergency diplomacy looks like. Derek Stoffel picks up the story from Tel Aviv. Calls between President Trump and several leaders here in the Middle East have unleashed a wave of alarm and even anger. 
This is why. There are concerns that if President Trump goes ahead and recognizes Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and starts the process of moving the U.S. Embassy from here in Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, the Arab world will see the United States as choosing sides, siding with Israel in the long-running dispute between the Israelis and Palestinians. Now, Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas, through his spokesman tonight, says that the moves could kill the peace process. King Abdullah of Jordan said the potential U.S. action could have dangerous repercussions for security throughout the region. And Egypt's President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi also weighed in, telling Trump there's no need to complicate matters here in the Middle East. Palestinian factions are now calling for three days of rage right across the West Bank and the Gaza Strip. As a result, Israeli security forces are now preparing for demonstrations that could very well turn violent. Derek Stoffel, CBC News, Tel Aviv. Those reactions from leaders today underscore wider worries beyond Israel and the West Bank. Concerns that the decision might throw the region into turmoil. So the question is, what might it mean for the neighbors? I don't think this declaration will help the, the peace process. Peace to well-known Palestinian cartoonist Mohamed Sabani takes the form Uh-oh. of a dove, an ignored, often doomed peace with the U.S. and Donald Trump as the villain. Yeah, it's a pretty striking cartoon. I mean, this is uh, they're going all out on this particular one. Uh, I'll follow it for any major developments that uh, are actually, you know, sort of noteworthy, other than, of course, the, this action itself, but now the fallout of it. I do have, I guess, I just, I almost hate to even do tax stuff because it's like, even right now, it looks like it's not going through. So I'm going to just say defer to the overtime sync folder. If you're a supporter and you want to look at some of the stuff we've collected on the new tax stuff, it's just, it's extremely US centric and we have a bunch of people outside the US and it all could change anyways by next week. So I want to instead go to an, an, an interesting piece because in here, Tucker Tuckerson says something really strange. He says, I know lying when I see it. And there's a lot of it over there. And he's talking about the Vegas shooting and about some of the stuff that a few weeks later, nobody's really talking about, but is really strange. Stephen Paddock's killing spree on October 1st was the deadliest one-man shooting in the history of this country. 58 people were killed. He died as well. It's a tragedy that demands answers, but instead questions have only piled up. Why have we heard nothing more about Mary Lou Danley, for example, his girlfriend, Paddock's girlfriend, even though police say she may be hiding something? Where was Vegas's 40-member SWAT team as Paddock went on his rampage? For ourselves, we have asked why Las Vegas police have repeatedly obstructed our questions or been outright hostile to us. Weeks ago, they refused to provide answers to basic questions about security guard Jesus Campos, the one who took off from Mexico right after the shooting. Today, they made it impossible for us to get a filming permit on public land. 
he's actually in Vegas. They, uh, they've been following the story for a while on Cucker's show, and he took the show to Vegas to try to get some, fo- some, um, some video, and then they totally blocked him. So I think that's, I think he's a little upset because it's not a cheap endeavor, and it takes a lot of convincing of the upper management to take a show live on the road. The one who took off from Mexico right after the shooting, today they made it impossible for us to get a filming permit on public land. Why is that? We have no idea. But it tells you something interesting. Catherine Lombardo is an attorney representing many of the shooting victims here in Las Vegas. Doug Papa is a former police officer and casino security expert, and they join us both tonight. Thank you both for coming on. Thanks, Um, Walker. So, Doug, give me the overview here. We we were talking in the break. We have compiled a list, my producers uh, and I, of questions to which we have no answers. Very basic questions. I won't um, repeat them on the air. But basically, we know basically nothing. That's true. Why? I don't have any idea. Um, it was one of the reasons why I started writing the stories right after the incident for the Baltimore Post Examiner. I wrote 35 stories to date and try to get some answers from the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department. And every time you called up the PIO, it, initially they're either very rude or they just say they comment that it's an ongoing investigation and they can't talk. I had some specific uh, things that really bothered me from the start. Is, is One is where was the 40-member SWAT team the night of the worst mass shooting in American history? And as Let, I, let's stop right there. What's the answer to that? Um, nobody knows, and actually nobody actually asked the question to Sheriff Lombardo to this day. I was the only one that wrote these in the stories. Um, I do not know where they were. I do know from doing my investigation and talking to sources um, within and outside the Metropolitan Police Department that Levi Hancock, who was the officer that breached the door with explosives, went in with an ad hoc team of two canine officers, and a, uh, I believe Donaldson was the gang unit detective. And he was a little concerned about his safety from what I was told because because he was going in with people he'd never worked with before. Uh, his SWAT team members were anywhere in sight. Um, that's one of the things I raised, one of the issues I raised yeah. in the story. I do not know. Um, and, and that's you can add that to a long list of things we don't know. So I, I think a basic question I've had from the beginning, and I haven't heard it addressed, is did Stephen Paddock come to the attention of authorities, federal, state, or local, before this shooting? And I'm not alleging a conspiracy, but it's a basic question. Did they know who this guy was? Do you know the answer to that? I don't know the answer, but I suspect the answer is yes, based on what I've heard. Listen, I can't remember what's rumor, what's conspiracy theory, and what's facts on some days, but I've heard a lot of things. I've actually received a lot of information on paper. Yeah, I think they knew who he was. Of course they knew who he was. So answer that even more basic question. You're handling the legal end of Mm -hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Where's the information coming from? The FBI have apparently taken over the bulk mm-hmm. of the investigation. Mm-hmm. Is mm-hmm. there a central source for known facts about what happened, or is it just ad hoc? There is no source right now at all for any information as to what happened. Like I've said from the beginning, we expect it to take four to six months for the investigation. Look, I've said from the beginning that the lawyers for MGM and the corporate executives have been hunkered down in a room from day one, moment one, and they are putting all of their resources to protection of themselves, defending well, that's, themselves. That's it right there. Look, I don't know the answer to any of these questions, but I know lying when I see it. Mm-hmm. I oh. can smell it, and there's a lot of it around this story. So he's suspicious. He's going to keep following it, supposedly, and I'll monitor his coverage. You know, their defense posture could just simply be because of the magnitude of the media coverage around this story. I want to just do a little more coverage on the Brian Ross thing because that was just an interesting thing for me. Just when when media actually gets caught getting it wrong, I I kind of enjoy following that uh, fallout and seeing the self-analysis that may or may not happen. And here is a Kurtz, who is Fox's like media analysis guy. I like him better than Seltzer Water, to be honest. 
He's prepared to testify, we are told by a confidant, against President Trump, against members of the Trump family, and others in the White House. He is prepared to testify that President Trump, as a candidate, Donald Trump, ordered him, directed him to make contact with the Russians, which contradicts all that Donald Trump has said at this point. Now that uh, would be a big deal, except there was only one problem. It wasn't true. Uh-oh. And it led to the suspension over the weekend of ABC News chief investigative correspondent Brian Ross. ABC News issued a correction, noting that President Trump instructed Flynn to contact the Russians after the presidential election as part of the transition team, not before. This is their quote. As a result of our continued reporting over the next several hours, ultimately we determined that the information was wrong. Effective immediately, Brian Ross will be suspended for four weeks without pay. Here now to evaluate how all of this was handled, Howie Kurtz, host of Media Buzz. Howie, good evening. Good to see you tonight. Hello, Martha. Um, th- this is egregious. Uh, egregious doesn't begin to describe it. It's, it's hard to overstate what an awful mistake Brian Ross made in rushing on the air with a half-baked story based on a single unnamed source. It's like playing Russian roulette with your career. Now, of course, they've never done anything like that or weren't just recently caught doing something like that with the Seth, Seth Rich story. Of course not. No, 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 of course not. Uh, and I do enjoy Fox considering himself the mainstream media watchdog when they sort of – when the American public thinks of mainstream media, one of the organizations they think of is Fox, especially the company behind Fox News. But that said, um, let's see what he has to say. And in fact, he blew a hole in his credibility and he deserved to be suspended. Yeah, because – and we should point out that, that there's a big difference. If the president was instructing Flynn – before the election, um, you know, during the period where the Russians were trying to meddle with the election, it goes to the issue of potential collusion. It also would bring up the Logan Act, which would mean that a private citizen was interacting with a foreign government on behalf of, of a future president. Um, but as a transition member, he has he had every right to do that. Whether or not it turns out to be above board, that's another question. Right. It's night and day. It goes from having a whiff of collusion to being routine diplomacy when you have the president-elect in charge. And ABC, though ultimately uh, took pretty strong action, uh, initially was just tone deaf on this thing. First calling it a clarification, then was upgraded to a correction, and then came the apology and suspension that you just read. Yeah. Um, And it really did have reverberations across ABC. Watch this. Breaking news. Oh, my God. Yeah, there's the part, the breaking news part right there. That guy right Came there. the apology and suspension that we'll you just We'll end it read. here. Yeah. Um, and it really did have rever- reverberations across ABC. Watch this. So they were so pumped up about this. But even before they gave it to Joy there, one of their producers comes on. Look, he's smiling. He's reading it. Look how happy he is. He knows this is a big deal. Breaking news. Oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Let's just watch it one more time. Oh, breaking news. ABC News. Brian Ross is reporting. Michael Flynn. Oh, we'll save it. You know what? We know where that's going. All right. So moving on, uh, before we get out of the overtime, just a couple of more things to cover. One topic that I know is probably a little bit of interest to some of you, at least sort of theoretically, is uh, a cashless society. Well, NBC News is on the trail. When Brianne Kimmel gets ready to go in the morning, cash is not in the equation. Oh, cash. I think the last time I went to an ATM was two years ago. She streamlined her wallet to credit cards only. Cash, she feels, is inconvenient and dangerous. There's a lot of times where I think if I had a lot of cash on me, I'd be a little bit anxious. While cash is still the number one method of payment, between 2000 and 2015, non-cash payments in the U.S. grew by almost 400 percent. Okay. I haven't really needed cash, to be honest. It's either my credit card or if I'm out with friends, I'll use Venmo. 
Venmo, the mobile app where people can pay each other on a smartphone. Not native advertising, no. Now processes $2 billion a month. This year, Apple added similar payment capabilities in iMessage. These free services are so popular, 30 major banks recently launched a competing product called Zelle. Doing away with paper money has been a big boom for small businesses, too, like the restaurant Sunday in Brooklyn. The transaction at the table is quicker. Guests are looking for uh, the cleaner, safer, easier transaction. And having a wad of cash in your pocket just isn't convenient. But 7% of Americans do not have access to banking or credit cards. That adds up to 9 million households that operate with cash only. When a business says we will not be accepting cash here, it also is saying we will not be accepting people who don't have smartphones here or can't afford them and people who don't have bank accounts here. Yeah, there's a reason to have cash. You need a line of credit. You need some technology to be able to live in a cashless society. Or what if you're just a tourist? And that leaves out a large portion of our population. Or perhaps potential business. I'm a fan of cash. I'm a fan of paying with my phone, and I'm a fan of cash. I could get rid of credit cards altogether if they'd like. If that'd be fine. I th- would, would, would that would that would be what they prefer? Everybody, everybody. Here's a little raw Trump to wrap us up in the overtime. We're doing a compact overtime this week, and we just are going to wrap it with some raw Donald. And President Trump left the White House this morning for Utah, where he'll address the state legislature. There, he spoke with reporters before boarding Marine One. Going to Utah. We're going to be doing something that the state of Utah and others have wanted to be done for many, many years. It will be one of the great, really, events in this country in a long time. Wow. So important for states' rights and so important for the people of Utah. And I know a lot of you are coming out with me. We'll have plenty of time to talk. Uh, the stock market, I think, is going to have a very big day based on the massive tax cuts that we're very much in the process of getting approved. But based on the vote we had last week, the stock market has been reacting unbelievably well. The only thing that hurts it is the fake news. There's plenty of that. So uh, we're heading out to Utah again. I know you're coming with me, a lot of you. We'll have plenty of time to talk today. Thank you. And then it goes a little south. Well, I feel badly for General Flynn. I feel very badly. He's led a very uh, strong life. Strong life. I feel very badly, John. I will say this. Uh, Hillary Clinton lied many times to the FBI. Nothing happened to her. Flynn lied, and they destroyed his life. I think it's a shame. Hillary Clinton, on the 4th of July weekend, went to the FBI, not under oath. It was the most incredible thing anyone's ever seen. She lied many times. Nothing happened to her. Flynn lied, and it's like they ruined his life. It's very unfair. Oh, Rod Trump, thanks for joining us this week. See you right back here next week.